The American Petroleum Institute, driving safety, environmental protection, and sustainability across the natural gas and oil industry through world-class standards and safety programs. Since its formation as a standard-setting organization in 1919, API has developed more than 800 standards to enhance industry operations worldwide. Find out more at api.org. Welcome to ESG Energize, where we discuss the latest developments in the environmental, social, and governance arena that are impacting the energy industry today. Here is your host, Delfina Govia. This is Delfina Govia, your busy business boss, executive, strategist, and transformational leader, whose mission on this show is to educate, engage, and energize the global community on topics of sustainability and ESG. Here on ESG Energized, Tim Bainchus, who is the CEO of CarbonCred. Tim, welcome to the show. Oh, thanks so much. Appreciate being on it. And you are joining us from Calgary, am I right? Absolutely, yeah. I'm in Calgary, Canada right now. Okay. Ladies and gentlemen, the reason why I had Tim join the show is not only do we share an alma mater, he got his master's degree the same place I got my master's, or is it a PhD? Was it a PhD or a master's, Tim, that you got at Cornell? No, it was a master's. It was a master's? Okay. It was a master's. Yeah, but his was, his was a lot but, more uh, difficult than mine was. My committee was split on a PhD. <laughs> you almost snagged the PhD. <laughs> I almost got one for it. It was close. <laughs> okay. So I, I asked him to join us because he and I had a chance to get connected by a colleague and we had a discussion and he has a way of approaching this topic of emissions, of carbon credits, and the way he thinks about it to me was incredibly compelling that I really needed him to come on the show and to, to talk to you about that. So if we could start, Tim, first tell people about yourself. And then from there, we're, we're going to get into, we're going to pick your brain and get inside of your mind around this space. So let's start with you and, and what got you down this path of being involved with climate change and emissions and the whole topic. Thanks. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. Um, so my parents actually uh, traveled a lot for work when I was growing up. And so from an early age, I actually grew up in Asia. And I saw the difference that access to energy could make in people's lives. Just a little bit of energy completely changed people's worlds. And so from then on, I wound up actually starting my own projects and building you know, houses and schools. And I repaired hospitals in nine countries around the world. And I think what was interesting was... And I guess I could trace it all back to resurfacing a leaky school roof in Mexico in 2009 <laughs> when I was listening to my first university lecture on relativity. And I didn't have the foggiest notion of what the person was actually saying on the uh, lecture, but it really piqued my interest. And it wound up getting me to think about the bigger story and energy, climate tech, and all that kind of stuff. What I think you've noticed, though, from that is that I didn't have the tools to be able to solve energy or sustainability challenges. So I wound up putting together a plan of how I could actually get to those tools to sort of address the challenges that to me seem to be really important. And having grown up, like I said, in that world where you firsthand see the importance of it, how do you do something that actually creates uh, a meaningful solution for people who need it? Mm -hmm. And so in May 2010, 
I actually started teaching myself fractions. And oh then by September, yeah, I actually didn't have access to a formal education. So by September, though, I got 100% in calculus. And that's while I was actually uh, training horses and running uh, a horse farm. And I say farm because it was out east, and obviously if it was in the west, it'd be a ranch. But same, same difference, and it was, uh, it was interesting. It was a, a real challenge. But that actually got me into mechanical engineering at Waterloo. And then I went and spent a year doing my uh, master's degree with uh, Jeff Tester at Cornell University and got a master's in chemical and biomolecular engineering. And then uh, since enrolled, I've also, yeah, I mean, it was, it was a pleasure to work under Jeff. And then uh, also electrical engineering at the University of Calgary. Okay. I so, think one of the nice, sorry, go ahead. No, I, I was going to say, so the, the education and the knowledge that you were able to, uh, to finally acquire, to be able to inform your thinking, what did that help you do? Because it's not just about knowledge, it's about making a difference, right? You just weren't sitting there going, I always want to, you know, satisfy my intellectual curiosity, that you actually wanted to do something and create something. Did that help you approach the market differently to understand maybe constraints? Where did that lead you? Absolutely. I think what I was very fortunate to do was to be able to teach uh, even carbon life cycle analysis from a thermodynamics perspective um, at Cornell. And it was that kind of thinking that got me trying to look at the world from a unique perspective. I also had access to a roommate who was at the uh, Chicago Stock Exchange who wound up spending a lot of time talking about the free market. Uh -huh. So what I wound up thinking about is what kind of constraints do we actually have in the market that kind of surround us that we're limited in what we can actually do when it comes to addressing climate change, when it comes to putting all these uh, solutions into something that makes sense. So here's some of the stuff that I came up with. Now you'll have to you know, bear with me and see if you agree on some of these. But one of the ones is if we take a step back from the tragic results that we are seeing, say for example, with the current fires that we're seeing, mm. um, and think what this actually does from a non-physical perspective for people, then the journal Nature, for example, reports that 95% of global youth under the age of 30 are either suffering from climate anxiety or climate concern. Okay. And the fact that we don't have a targeted solution that helps address the emissions problem seems to really pose unique challenges for people, even mentally, to understand what to do. And then, as you know well, we're seeing, you know, very low employee, employee engagement and other sort of brand trust challenges. And that's from a personal perspective. If you then flip this from the other side of the equation, you look at how companies are seeing this. And that comes to the increasing price of carbon in the market, legislated emissions targets, the SEC uh, mandating you know, ESG reporting in the future, IFRS, they have the S2 changes, which came live on June 26th of this year. And they're, you know, looking at a mandating some scope three emissions reporting starting even in January uh, 1st, 2024. And there's also supply, a tight supply of carbon credits. A company, a uh, Fortune 500 company said there's not enough carbon credits in the world to offset our emissions. How do we sort of make all this make sense and try and pull a solution when it seems that we're facing dichotomies on both sides of the equation. I agree that we're facing dichotomies on both sides of the equation. Um, I, th I think, 
And I think that the challenge of you talk about the youth and their anxiety is they're not seeing just as as companies are not seeing any sort of real clear direction coming out for, let's say, our our government organizations, our regulatory agencies that are sitting maybe between the both, the both of them, where, you know, are the people that are that have anxiety don't know how to solve the problem and are looking for guidance from the government. And companies are also waiting to see as to what kind of regulations are going to come out. I think that that lack of of clarity is just contributing to the challenges in the marketplace. So I don't know if you see it the same way, but there has got to we, I don't think that either side can just sit back and wait for the government to do something. I think that there's got to be some sort of solutions that we can that we can figure out how to move we can we can move our our both sides the dichotomy how how we can come together and move forward. You're you're absolutely right. Um, and if and imagine if we came up with a free market solution that sort of address some of these challenges. And if we do, then we wouldn't necessarily have to put in the legislation in place to be able to mandate it because the market already has figured out a way to solve this problem. There you go. And so when I was thinking about it, I bumped up against some real key constraints in creating okay. the solution. And this, this is where the engineer in me gets really excited because you're like, constraints, yes. <laughs> and you start, you start listing them and, and trying to sort of, you know, come up with the solution that sort of, you know, is the optimal sort of middle of the road thing. And so one of the ones that I often thought about is what's called the Kardashev scale. And it, I won't get into it, but it basically indicates that we're what's called a type zero society. And it says that there really isn't a, a magical solution because we're only at a certain part of our technical development as a society. That's not to say there aren't really good solutions coming. It just means that if you're thinking for that like order of magnitude jump, it takes a long time to do it. So there really isn't just a magical source just around the bend. Okay. The next is the idea of we really do have a finite energy source on this planet. Now, when we think of a finite energy source, we have to think of it in terms of the you know, society and growth in terms of energy consumption over a long period of time. And at the current rate of our energy consumption, in about 800 years, our planet should have a higher output of energy than the sun. Oh my so gosh. You, yeah. So when you think of it from that perspective, you really do say it's a finite amount of energy because it's, you know, that is obviously an impossible sort of place for us to find ourselves. Yeah. And then we have the, the second law of thermo, which indicates that emissions reducing technology only typically increases the entropy that you have to sort of, you know, involve in the situation. And what does that actually translate to? Well, when we look at something like carbon capture, it takes about 35% more energy to be able to capture that carbon and to be able to sequester it. So you get back to the problem with the finite energy source that you're only ever consuming that energy at about 35 or so percent faster. And then you have the challenge with, I like to think about the human evolution problem where we have this imperative to acquire more, to achieve more. It's what got us here. It's why we're not sort of still banging the rocks together. Mm -hmm. And how do we ask people nowadays to give up a tangible convenience that they want or have. And it doesn't seem like we're necessarily giving people anything in exchange. Mm -hmm. You kind of layer into that the challenge of, uh, according to Dr. Dawkins, that it takes about 40 generations 
to see a significant evolutionary change in the species. So we need some a solution that needs to happen now, and we can't wait for a long time to see it. So how do we figure out something that people who want to gain something and want to achieve something and want to be rewarded for it, how do we also bring that into the solution? And then we have the free market, right, which is our leading economic system. And how do we leverage the free market to be able to make that change? So I'm going to so add an, are, another. I'm going to add another per perspective to this, or another. Sure. Um, I don't know if it's not a constraint, but a, a, an, an added co uh, complication to the situation is that there is still a very, very strong lack of understanding of the underlying economic, technical, uh, physical challenges that need to be overcome. And if we're going to have people, if we're going to move forward as a society, whatever solutions that we put in place and we put in people's hands were, that can be actionable have got to be something that they can, they can understand and that they can understand while actually achieving something, right? I absolutely agree with you. Um, and I think, though, the understanding piece is to what level. So, right. for example, when we use our iPhones, we definitely understand how to use them, but we don't necessarily understand all the tech that goes behind it. But it definitely makes sense in our lives to be able to use them. There so you go. how do we offer a similar solution, I think, to that is what you're suggesting. That's exactly what I'm suggesting. Thank you for putting it far more eloquently. No, no, no. I think you, you did that. So... What we actually wound up doing, or what we've created as a team, in this case, our company is called Carbon Cred. We created, at this point, a B2B SaaS solution that we said, well, how do we engage people on a personal level to tackle climate change? And the way we thought about it was to say, okay, well, let's start with you know, small and let's grow from there. So we've suggested we start with helping people reduce their transportation emissions. Okay. But to be able to have people make money off this, let's actually take the industrial solution of carbon credits, which is now forestry, agriculture, and traditionally sits with companies. And how do we personalize that story? Essentially, create a mechanism by which we can democratize that bigger picture. Okay. So we engage people at a personal level. They reduce, just start with something simple like transportation emissions. Which and they understand. They yep, they do. And then we, we pay them using carbon credits and the ability to sell those in the market to be able to incentivize them to take those actions. Okay. So that starts to address the conversation with individuals. You take an action that makes sense and you get a carbon credit for it that can now be sold so you kind of also address the free market of it. Okay. Then you have to think about what member was saying there's the opposite side with companies. Yeah. Well, companies need to offset their emissions. So what about if we consider using starting with employees taking those actions? That's currently an untapped resource for companies where employees can now take actions just with their home and office commute. And we start there to be able to reduce emissions that actually classify as scope three emissions for a company. I was just going to say, companies need to reduce their scope three emissions. There's a lot of companies are reporting on it, and employee travel is a huge component. Absolutely. But now when an employee reduces their emissions and gets carbon credits to be able to do this, they can then take those carbon credits and sell them to the company to be able to reduce that company's net uh, footprint. Hmm. 
It's a win-win. It is. And it's an area that, you know, for example, didn't need capital spend. So you don't have to spend a lot of money. I'm talking with someone in town here in Calgary that has been spending, you know, two and a half billion dollars to be able to replace some devices in their company. I, I'm intentionally being vague. I don't want to ref, refer to who that is, but it's costing a lot of capital. If you get your employees actually helping you generate these carbon credits from reducing their emissions, it, it changes that story for companies as well. Hmm. Okay. And then I like the others. Yeah. I mean, well, that's what we're <laughs> hoping to do is something that people can actually understand and get behind. And then from the ease of use, I think that's where you were bringing up is we've created at a very high level, a simple app that does this. So you actually just get on and it out with all the sort of, you know, engineering and algorithms and whatever it is that we've put in the background of it, it actually becomes a real intangible, this whole story. So my brain is, is starting to, to, to piece things together Okay. and I'm coming up with a bunch of questions, but the first one would be who, what are, so the different companies, Companies come in different sizes with different sure. size workforces and different markets and different, you know, in cities and rural and blah, blah, blah. What are the ideal companies or the ideal leaders that you would, that would be really excited about this offering? Can I tell you about those ideal leaders in just like just one minute while Absolutely. I just tell you, give you one little other piece about it before I tell you about the ideal leaders so it's clear? We also enable companies to be able to advertise the emissions reductions that we're talking about with stakeholders to the market because these are about as real as you can possibly get. You can't, it's not a sort of a greenwashing piece when your employees are directly taking actions that cut emissions, right? You know that your company is actually moving towards this goal because as a team, you're making those decisions. And then we can take those same quantitative emissions reductions and we can put them in reports that are very clear that not only support ESG reports with quantitative numbers, but also the IFRS uh, reporting standards. And to make this super clear, because I think I am talking at a very high level, let me read a, a quick little example that I wound up putting together. Cool. It, it says, uh, Sandy commutes to work as an employee of a company, buy her car five days per week. After downloading the Carbon Cred app, she makes the decision to take a bus or to carpool or to walk or bike to work instead of driving her car just even one day per week. By taking the bus instead of driving, Sandy reduces her carbon emissions and earns personal carbon credits. Then, when Sandy checks her balance at the end of the month, within the app, she decides she wants to sell them. With a click of a button, she sells her credits to her employer to offset their emissions. Sandy's carbon reductions are automatically communicated to the market via a live feed from our app to the company's website. Additionally, the emissions reductions data are reported in a quantitative manner that fulfills a lot of the acronyms that we always hear, ESG, IFRS, GRI, SASB, for reporting. And this solves the scope three transportation emissions reporting as well along the value chain. What I really like about that is the transparency of it all, because we continuously talk about a lack of transparency. Um, we also talk about the fact that there is a lot of estimating 
that mm. goes on, and no two companies estimate alike. So who's who's to say that one company's estimate is is fair and another isn't? Here we're not talking about estimating; we're talking about actual actual numbers that have been achieved. You're absolutely correct. And what's more is the mechanism by which we're doing this. We're working with one of the leading registries in the world. It's going to become in a few short months entirely in the public domain to understand exactly how to do this and and what we're doing. So the transparency aspect goes very very deep. Love it. Additionally, what makes the credit special is that they're irreversible because you can't go back into the past and emit. Uh, well, that is until we invent some kind of time machine or something. <laughs> but uh, at this point, it's irreversible. So unfortunately, the effects of climate we're seeing, you know, challenges with some other credits, increasing the risk profile for them. Mm-hmm. We need them all. But this it's a real advantage for these that also for companies from a risk-based perspective, you know, they, they can understand how their employees are participating and they can even, you know, insert incentives. So it becomes a very real lower risk uh, solution to generating credits. Yeah. Okay. And now to flip though to the ideal sort of companies and leaders. Um, companies with in-person or hybrid work policies would, are obviously the, the ones you want to work with. Additionally, if you have, you know, say net zero or carbon neutral emissions targets, if you publish CSG reports. Another one is if you use IFRS financial reporting, and you want to, you know, report your scope three business travel emissions. We help mm-hmm. with there. And then we switch a little bit off that to say, well, imagine if you're trying to attract or retain younger talent. They're looking for key, you know, strategies, actions they can take. They want to see that the company is engaged. This demonstrates that you're engaged with all your peers trying to achieve a goal to reduce transportation emissions as a start. Also, companies that are, say, as third party doing and and managing the IFRS ESG reporting. We work with them because we can funnel our data directly to them as well. So we're a complementary product to what they're offering to the market. And when we talk specifically, though, about the leaders involved, I would say one of our current clients is uh, a national leader of a multinational, and they want to demonstrate a a local Canadian uh, sustainability solution or we were talking with a, a U.S. Uh, Fortune 500 who were t- saying that they run sustainability competitions it, within the company. And so if a city wants to compete with another city, they have that, those kind of competitions. And I was like, well, you're in Austin. We'll help you win. So you're becoming the Pokemon Go of carbon credits. We're, that is definitely one way to view us. Uh, we definitely want to be that, that easy sort of, yeah, uh, win for, for people. Everybody go out there and, and play. Absolutely. I love it. And get rewarded for it. And get rewarded. But the reliability <laughs> in the back end, I just want to be clear, is, is, is definitely next level in terms of, of quality. We're, we're the highest quality carbon credit you could get your hands on. Wow. Um, okay. So where do we go from here? What other thoughts do you have for my audience? So I'm going to now just sort of go on to, this might be a bit of a hot button topic. Go for Um, it. I really believe in diversity of thought. One of my team members actually is a climate skeptic. And I brought them on the team because I think their input is absolutely essential to us building an emissions reducing ESG tech. Because it, it helps us as a team 
solve problems in a way that makes sense to a broader audience. And it, it ensures that my passion to create climate tech and to solve the environmental challenges has a real solid basis. I, I connected with an individual who actually cycles into work. Uh, and I, I had to chat him in the, in the locker room. And we went for a coffee. And this was just the uh, day before yesterday. And he wound up telling me, he's like, oh, I, I'm a you know, strong climate skeptic when we sat down for coffee and you talk what you're doing something in sustainability. I just want to let you know I, I disagree with it all. And we started our coffee. And within about a half hour, he was like, I need to introduce you to our CEO and let's roll something <laughs> like this out. There you go. And I think it's just because if we can do something that makes sense and we start with a free market approach and we start rewarding people, you can see how both sides of the equation can actually get involved. And we can be a unifying factor for people. Um, our surveys actually say that there's even, you know, climate skeptics are even 18% more likely to participate. So we really are going to get both sides of the equation into, into a single solution. And yes, I guess I would say we are looking to partner with companies because we want to implement this solution. We want to grow it as fast as possible, not just from a business perspective, but also because we can bring the real quantitative emissions reductions. I know I say this, let's give some numbers. If people in North America and the EU commuted to work like this using alternative transport just twice a week, we could cut global emissions by over 300 megatons or about 1% of total global emissions. We can have a huge impact if we just make a, a small sort of change in our, in our convenience and you'll get paid for it. That's that free market. Absolutely. And then... <laughs> Um, I would add, though, as a company, we're, of course, always looking for investment because it'll help us to grow even faster and get to the market. So if companies want to talk to me, uh, my, you can either reach me at tim at carboncred.com. That's C-A-R-B-O-N-C-R-E-D.com. We're going to put that in the or, show notes. Perfect. Or even at info at carboncred or go to our website. It's called carboncred.com and you can sort of reach us there as well. Well, because the faster we grow, the sooner we can cut those emissions. That's absolutely, that's absolutely right. So if you're out there listening and you want to get in touch with Tim, we're going to put that information in the show notes. Um, Tim, I'm going to ask if you would do me a, do me a favor. You, you mentioned earlier, you just mentioned that you brought somebody on your team that was a, uh, a, a skeptic mm -hmm. on, on a climate change skeptic and that you just a couple days ago had a conversation with somebody who was a skeptic, a climate skeptic, and now he wants to introduce you to his CEO. On the mm -hmm. other side of the equation, we have people that are very skeptical about carbon credits and that, that whole conversation. And I have a slew of questions uh, from my listeners and people that I've talked to that just want, just want to have that argument. So I'm going to ask you if you would be so kind to come back on the show and do a part two and let me hammer you with some of those hard-hitting, those tough questions that people have about the carbon credits. Would you be willing to do that for me? Absolutely. I, I think uh, I'd, be, I'd be honored. It'd be great. I, I okay. love answering tough questions because I think we have to have proofs for the things that we want to understand. We have to have proofs for the things we engage in. And I want to be clear, the two people I was talking to are climate skeptics. They're still climate skeptics. They just see how this solution can make sense. 
So huh. I'm not trying to change anyone's opinion. What I'm trying to do is give real answers to the tough questions that people have, and then go and and you know then from there you're able to sort of build your understanding and leverage other tools to sort of come to a full understanding. Not just understanding, you're offering a solution that people can actually understand and put to use, which is Thank you. You said within that <laughs> and within our free market, which I think is also critical. I would agree. So, Tim, thank you so very much for joining us on ESG Energize. Ladies and gentlemen, we're going to do a part two, and we're going to fire our tough questions at Tim. Send them in quickly uh, over the next week so that we can, we can hit him really hard when he comes back. Thanks, Tim, for joining us. Thank you for having me. I appreciate that. Join us again next week on the ESG Energized Podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. To learn more, go to OGGN.com.